Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 421 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I am CEO of the Australian Writer Centre and your co-host. And I'm here with the very clever Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, in the lead up to the launch of her next book. How are you, Al? Well, very clever, apparently. Yeah. It's quite exciting. <laughs> quite exciting, really. Are you excited, though? Oh, I am excited, but I look, it's, it's you know, as you know, it's been a very busy few weeks, months for me. Uh, the house yeah, move yeah. has been oh. successfully, you know, facilitated. Done. So I'm here um, because, of course, the last couple of episodes have been fabulous story sessions, um, mostly because I didn't have Wi-Fi and was surrounded <laughs> by boxes, um, which, mm-hmm. you know, I I just feel that people, if you're thinking about moving house. My suggestion is just stay where you are. <laughs> what? Well, it's just hard, don't you think? Oh, yeah. You've done it. Yeah. Painful. Painful. <laughs> My friend Alex reckons that it was painful for me because I had to look at every single thing in my house that I had collected, you know, over 10 years and make mm. a decision about whether I wanted to keep it or not, and that oh, is yeah. very stressful, I find. But anyway. Yes. I'm here. Takes up a lot of brain space. Yes, you're Most here. Most of my belongings have made it with me. And so now I am at the point of, um, yes, preparing for the Wolf's Howl launch, which is exciting, um, but feels very near. Like normally I'm more organised than I am right now, two weeks before it happens. But I, I'm just, I'm winging it, people. And you yes. know that winging it, you know, when it comes to this kind of stuff is probably not really my favourite <laughs> thing to do. But we're going to make it work. If there are some new listeners, tell us what The Wolf's Howl is. Ah, well, the book, the Wolf's Howl is book two in the Maven and Reeve mystery series. It's an upper middle grade um, series for kids around sort of, uh, you know, 12 to 14, but, you know, good readers of 10. Uh, it is about Maven, who is a maid, and Reeve, who is a squire. And in book two, they have travelled to the far-flung reaches of Kartref, which is the kingdom in which they live, and they must solve the mystery of a uh, a woman who's disappeared. The cook has disappeared, and they need to find her. And wow. because you know, cooks are pretty important, right? <laughs> An army marches on its stomach, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, yes. So it was a lot of fun to write. It was interesting book to write because I wrote most of it uh, last year when we were mm. all in the throes of of mm. you know of COVID and intense lockdown and, uh, you know, the HSC and all sorts of various things. So it was an interesting one for me to write. It was uh, generally speaking when I write a novel for kids, there's a certain amount of, you know, fun and lightness to it. Mm. Um, I had to search for the fun and lightness. I mean, I think it's there in the book, but Mm. it wasn't there in my process, which I, I think was interesting. I think because of just because of the way everything was in the world at the time. So It'll be. I'm. I'm looking forward to the reviews. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm very, very excited. So you're doing a bunch of things. What kind of things are you doing associated with the launch? Uh, right. So, well, as I said, I'm only kind of really just starting to make plans. But save the right. date for the 10th of August, uh, particularly mm. if you have children. I am going to be doing a, an online launch in the Your Kids Next Read Facebook community for kids. Uh, so it's going to be like an author talk uh, where I'll be talking about, you know, the ideas behind the book and uh, writing tips and all that sort of stuff, you know, aimed aimed at kids. Um, and I think that's going to be a Zoom, so it'll make it easier 
uh, for Fun. kids to ask questions and and do all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so that'll be the tenth of August. So that's specifically uh, for kids. Specifically for kids, that one. Yeah, that's so, great. Yeah, just like um, because a lot of the stuff that I do online is is often aimed at at parents and yeah. and other writers and things like that. So I thought, you know what? Like, given the situation where you know that we're we're in sort of a series of rolling lockdowns again, yeah. uh, I thought let's do something you know for kids. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, so that's the tenth of August. Stand by for details. Um, I'm also okay. I've got a whole lot of stuff that's just sort of in train. I'm I'm writing blog posts. I'm organising mm. videos. I've got some ideas to do some things on Instagram that uh, Book Boy is going to be helping me with. Oh, um, yeah, because he's, have a Book Boy. Well, he's been exploring <laughs> uh, with his music stuff. He's been, you know, trying different things, and uh, he sort of said to me, "Oh, I'll help you, you know, do this and this, and we'll see how that goes." So I'm going to try some things on Instagram. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. just doing doing what I can because a lot of my stuff. I've got a, a whole lot of um, like a week in Sydney of of school visits and author talks mm-hmm. planned for book week. And I'm not sure if that's going to happen. Yep. Um, I had a whole lot of things, you know, uh, this, the Shoalhaven Readers and Writers Festival, I was going to launch my book face to face at that. Uh, mm-hmm. But unfortunately, that's had to be postponed due to you know, the lockdowns and things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you kind of have to be, what is the word? Nimble. I'm trying yes. to be nimble and just uh, come work out things that I can do, um, you know, under the current circumstances. So that's what I'm doing. Cool. And one of the things that you and I are doing for our wonderful listener community, also save the date, uh, is on the 28th of July. So coming up really soon, yes. we are having another block party. So we had one of these last year because, you know, we were supposed to have our fabulous event at Vivid and yes. then Vivid got completely cancelled. So we took the party online and we had a block party and um, <laughs> it's been moved again this year. <laughs> so anyway, we thought that we would still get our community together and because we'd really love to see you guys, we're going to organise a block party on Zoom as well where we're going to, you know, we're going to have some drinks. <laughs> you know, we're going to have a wine, aren't we? That's all we're yeah. going to do. Or, you know, if you're doing Dry July, have a soft yes. drink. Have a soft, have a soft drink. drink. That's BYO, fine. BYO, BYO, whatever it is that you like to yes. drink. Cup of tea is fine. Um, yep. Yep. But, yep. yes, come along, join us, bring some cheese. I always like a yes. bit of cheese with my chat. Uh, White Costello so, I'm bringing yeah. and oh, there you go. paste oh, and okay. rosé. You're, also, you're sorted, aren't you? I am you go. sorted. I've got I a system. I haven't actually thought that far ahead yet. Um, but, yeah, we're going to chat, aren't we? We're going to talk about yes. books, writing, just Yep, and stuff. have a conversation with our listeners as well. Yes. So we would love to see you. Um, make sure you put that in your diary. So it's going to be in the evening at wine o'clock. One o'clock. <laughs> Not one o'clock, but wine o'clock uh, on the 28th, Wednesday, the 28th of July. So looking forward to catching up with everyone then. Now, you also have a shout out. I do. I have a shout out to community member Anna Weatherly, who sent me the loveliest email during the week. I Honestly, I just, I'm, I was so touched and I feel so blessed. She 
wanted to let me know that she had included me and the Australian Writers' Centre in the acknowledgements section of her new novel, uh, which is called The Widow's Follower, and it's out online. And I'm going to put a link uh, to it in the show notes. But she has a website. I think it's annaweatherly.com.au, but I will also put that in the show notes. Um, She has put it in the acknowledgements because she did uh, my Build Your Author platform course and also the 30-day creative writing boot camp uh, course that I have with the Australian Writers' Centre. And the the acknowledgement reads, authors everywhere generously share their perspectives on writing and publishing. There are too many to name, so I will only mention two, Alison mm-hmm. Tate of the Australian Writers' Centre and Bronwyn Parry. So I am incredibly chuffed. I have to say that um, I'm very lucky. I've, I'm lucky enough to have been in several acknowledgements pages and nice. um well yes i'm gonna maybe start a little collection of my acknowledgements pages um mm. and i know how important that it is to be there because it's very precious real estate your acknowledgements page and i know yes. that from writing my own and it's you put people in there that really you know mattered along the journey of that particular book so anna mm. i am just absolutely chuffed to um that you have you know to have put me on your acknowledgements page the widow's follower is a crime fiction murder mystery and suspense novel set in sydney in 1919 mm. um oh here you go i do have a website here au, and she even says it's thanks to me that she has a website <laughs> and so i'm very excited so yeah thanks so much for that anna i i really appreciate the shout out so everyone check out Anna's webpage. Um, and we also have a big shout out to a couple of different people um, in our community at the Australian Writers' Centre. We do. We? Are you going to do that or am I going to well, do that? I am, but I just lost the link. <laughs> <laughs> While Valerie Googlays in the background. <laughs> I'll just take over. So this week, Text Publishing announced the seven shortlisted manuscripts in the running for the $10,000 Text Prize for young adult and children's writing. And very excitingly, there were some familiar names on the list. Very exciting. Very have you found your link or do you want yes to so we have a couple of um graduates Jacqueline Moore who has been shortlisted for her children's story the curious case of the cocoa bean and uh Jacqueline's done several courses at the Australian Writers Centre including how to write for children and young adults and um yeah very very cool shortlisted also on the shortlist is Emily Morschek these cursed waters Ooh. Yes, a YA fantasy novel. Um, and uh, Emily's done novel writing essentials and, you know, she's published, uh, she's authored a number of um, short stories. So congratulations to both Jacqueline and Emily. We're so excited for you because it's no mean feat to get on the shortlist. So fantastic. No, it's brilliant. Yeah. And the winner's going to be announced. The winner will be announced on the 29th of July, 2021, um, along with the recipient of the Steph Bow Mentorship, which is awarded to one of the shortlisted authors. So very exciting. And it's a terrific prize. If you are writing for children and young adults, if that's, you know, if that's your Mm -hmm. dream, you need to keep an eye on that text prize. It is, it has absolutely skyrocketed the careers of many Australian authors. Um, So it's definitely one to aim for next year. So have a look at the the text prize website uh which i would tell you what that was but i don't know so you might have to google it we'll put it in the show notes (laughs) but check out the text prize website and have a look at what they're looking for so that you can and you know read the shortlist 
um, the winner this year and any anything else because they often publish a couple off the shortlist as well. So yes. read them to get an idea of the kinds of things they're looking for because, you know, you want to be aiming for yours for next year. Brilliant. And just go to textpublishing.com.au. Thanks for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We have a competition this week. We have three copies of A Woman of Intelligence by Karen Tanabi. An exhilarating tale of one remarkable woman's journey to find her purpose and herself in post-war America. As a single girl in 1940s Manhattan, Katerina was a translator at the newly formed United Nations, devoting her days to her work and the promise of world peace, and her nights to cocktails and a promise of a good time. Now the wife of a beloved pediatric surgeon and heir to a shipping fortune, Katerina is trapped in a gilded cage, desperate to escape the constraints of domesticity. So when she's approached by the FBI and asked to join their ranks as an informant, Katerina seizes the opportunity. Navigating the demands of the FBI and the secrets of the KGB, she becomes enthralled by her secret mission, but as those closest to her lose their covers and their lives, Katerina's secret soon soon threatens to ruin, ruin her. So we have three copies of A Woman of Intelligence to give away. Go to writercenter.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 26th of July. So writercenter.com.au slash win. Now, Al, mm. are you ready for the word of the week? Oh, yes, I'm ready. Hit me. Okay, hit you. This is so cool. Okay, orthoopy, orthoopy. That's O-R-T-H-O-E-P-Y, orthopy. Does it have to do with feet? No, but it sounds like it would have to do with feet, right? But it hmm. doesn't. No, okay. It's, it is a noun and it's, it is the study of correct pronunciation. Oh, vowel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is, oh, this is perfect for you. This is ideal. Yep. Did you study? <laughs> did you study very carefully how to say orthoopy oh, just to get it right? Well, yeah, you know, yeah, I'm not even exactly sure. <laughs> or the orthoopy. Oh, so next time someone calls you a grammar pedant because you insist on using the Oxford comma or not, you can correct them and say that you are an orthoopist. No, you're not. Not necessarily. Because it's pronunciation. What do Oxford commas have to do with pronunciation? Because I'm just mixing my metaphors. You've just made a total mess of that. <laughs> I'm not even... She's talking about punctuation and not pronunciation, and I feel as though... Yeah. Okay. Wanting to see whether you'd pick that up, you see. <laughs> Obviously, it was a test, but I'm very yeah. clever, remember? You even said it yourself at the top of the episode. You said the very clever Alison Tate, and here I am correcting you. All right, orthoopy, uh, and that was the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Here's what Joanna Nell had to say. It almost sounds a little bit melodramatic to say, but the discovering the courses at the Australian Writers really did actually change my life. Through discovering writing, uh, I have 
completely had a new career. I must admit that I feel a much more sort of fulfilled and, and balanced person uh, as a result of that finding a channel for that creativity. The Creative Writing Stage 1 course was exactly the approach that I needed, that sort of nuts and bolts, step-by-step -step approach. One of the things I found the most useful in the course was actually also one of the most terrifying at, at, at the start, which was giving and receiving of critique. It really is a very important way that a writer can improve. The other great aspects of being a member of the Australian Writers' Centre is that uh, that sense of community. Finding people who are like-minded, your people, your tribe. I'm the author of The Single Ladies of Jacaranda Retirement Village, which is my debut novel. And so really it was completely a dream come true. Often meet many people who say that they would like to write a book but don't know where to start or they have a story but they don't have the time to do it. And I think that this is where somewhere like the Australian Writers' Centre can really show them the way to do it, and it certainly did for me. And I think I'm you know, living proof of what they can achieve. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash creative writing. All right, so shall we move on to our writer-in-residence this week? Let's... <laughs> let's do I'm that you said that what an excellent idea <laughs> I loved having this chat with Amanda Hampson now Amanda has written many many books she actually came to the writing of life later in life um, she's written the Olive Sisters the French Perfumer the Yellow uh, Villa 60 Summers and her latest book which was just such a treat to read is Lovebirds Amanda also happens to live just down the road from me, uh, but she's oh. also and, yeah, and is also a presenter at the Australian Writers Centre. And people are absolutely loving Amanda's courses, the ones that she's tutoring in creative writing and novel writing. So um, yeah, we have a really good old chat about the her writing process, about Lovebirds, and about her writing journey. So let's have a chat with Amanda Hanson. Thanks so much for joining us today, Amanda. Thank you for having me, Valerie. Oh, your latest book, Lovebirds, I just devoured it. Um, I loved it. Um, for there are readers who, you know, if there are some listeners who haven't got their hands on a copy yet, and they should, just can you tell us what it's about? Well, look, I found it very difficult to say what it's about because it's, it is, I think, a degree kind of multi-layered. Mm. Um, it's in not just two time frames. I think it's simpler to say the pa the past and the present, but different periods of the past. Mm. So just to stick with the present day, we meet Elizabeth at the funeral of her best friend, and uh, we can kind of see that she's a little bit out of kilter with some of the people there, and she's a bit of a prickly <laughs> personality. And we then find that she's uh, a bit offside with members of her family. But she ends up being responsible for her 15-year-old grandson mm. and he has got on the wrong side of the law and she takes responsibility but finds him to be actually quite uh, elusive. He has his own sort of life that he leads, as 15-year-olds do. And she ends up taking him on a trip, on a road trip, up into northern New South Wales to find her, the love of her life, Ray, mm. whom she hasn't seen for 30 years, so his grandfather, who he's never met. In the alternate chapters, 
we go back to the defining periods of her life, when she was 10, when she met her best friend, Jenny, mm. in her teen years, when she fell in love with Ray, and the various um, experiences in her life that have made her the woman that we are getting to know during this road trip, I think is the best way to explain it. Mm-hmm. What made you, What was? how did this idea of this book form? I've been thinking about it for quite a long time and it's it's related to my original thought was related to the fact that as you get older you seem to be women particularly become quite marginalized and you know you have your friends that you've known for 30 or 40 years or longer and you see them being dismissed by people or overlooked or not or not even seen and so I wanted to show and yet as if as your friend you see them in all their different dimensions you know all of these different things about them you see them of every age they ever were so mm. i wanted to take this woman like elizabeth as a sort of every woman and show the 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 experiences of her life and how they have made her into this particular person so then you know it just becomes a matter of looking at, I mean, I'm 66, so I can look back and say, well, what were the things that happened during our lifetime that would have caused that? Well, when we were young, um, you know, we often left school early. I left school at 16. It was considered that education was wasted on women back then <laughs> and because they were just going to get married. That was your prime thing in life was to get that engagement ring on your finger <laughs> and get married and have children at that time in the, you know, sort of early 70s, women often had to leave work when they were married because they were taking a man's job. Mm. So very different world. My teen years, they were very overshadowed for um, boys by the prospect of being conscripted mm. and sent to Vietnam against their will. Um, and that's turned out way worse than anybody could have anticipated. So I just wanted to show all of these different things that have happened to women like myself, mm. even though none of these things happened to me, over this 50-year um, period. Mm. And so um, I want to come back to the book and talk about a bunch of things that are in there. But if we can just provide some context to listeners, because um, you've written several novels if you can just give us a little bit of a potted career history of, you know, what you did before you became a full-time writer, just so that people can get an understanding of, you know, your your, your career so far. I wouldn't, my so-called <laughs> career, I wouldn't exactly call it a career path. Um, well, as I said, I left school at 16. I had uh, the unfortunate bad luck of getting pregnant and I was kicked out of home. So I had a year or the rest of that year until I gave birth to my son, basically trying to keep a roof over my head. Uh, then I went home and basically my schooling was over then. Mm. So I went to work in an office and after that I worked in offices for a few years, just different offices like insurance offices and things like that. Um, I married young and convinced my husband uh, to go and live in London, which had been a great dream of mine. And when I was there, I just did those jobs that you do. I worked as a car cleaner. I worked in an office. I worked in a, for an events company. 
so that we could travel and, and see Europe and do all those kind of things. Then I came to Australia, but all of that time I was still writing. I had always wanted to be a writer from when I was mm. a child. I grew up in a, an isolated area in New Zealand and I read and I wanted to be a writer. That was just it. And I used to often think, oh, if I didn't have to be a writer, I would like to do this other thing. So that's always been there for me. So um, when I came to Australia, I just continued to write and gradually I started to write in my job. And then I started to write non-fiction articles. I did courses exactly like the courses that the Writers' Centre runs, mm. uh, short courses in very specific things. And so then I started to get articles published in Panorama magazine and mm. and um, architectural review and I know nothing about architecture, everything is research, <laughs> as you know. Yes. And then I had an article about Martin Sharp published in the Australian magazine. And I sort of just went on from there. Then I wrote a non-fiction book called Battles with the Baby Gods. And when I'd finished it, I, you know, had somebody look at it, you know, in terms of editing and did the work on it, sent it to Transworld Publishing. And 12 weeks later, they rang me and said, we'd like to publish it. So I haven't the kind of opposite story from everybody else. I don't have very much formal education. I'm completely self-educated mm. and, you know, can talk about 19th and 20th century literature till the cows come home. Um, but I have not had a problem getting published. The Olive Sisters went to Penguin. They said they'd like to publish it. It was as simple as that. And I think that that is partly because I haven't come from any expectation that those doors will be open for me. Mm. So I've had to work and make a book as good as it, you would find it in a bookshop before I send it to the publisher. And I, I, that's the only thing I can think that is the key to, mm. the, to having those doors open quite quickly. So let's take uh, Lovebirds as a real example in terms of determining the story, what happens in the story. At what point do you determine what happens in your story at the start and then you write it or do you just start with a little bit of an idea and just see what happens? Panther, a little bit of an idea. So mm. I had the idea that Elizabeth would go to this funeral and then I'm really looking at at making that character come alive on the page. So, um, you know, we have her in her flat, so I'm picturing her there, I'm picturing her talking to Eric. Um, <laughs> then I'm... We need to explain who Eric is. <laughs> Eric is her husband. And Eric has turned out to be quite the star of the book, let me say. Uh, absolutely. Like, oh, Eric is my favourite. Yeah. Because he's not a running interference. He's not really a helpful budgie. He's always saying <laughs> something that's really inappropriate at the time. Um, so then I take her to the funeral and have her have conversations with people. And, you know, I don't, I hate to make it sound all magical and arty-farty, but it's really just getting to know her through those conversations. What do people say to her? How does she respond to that? And then I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I'm getting to, I'm getting to see you now. You're, you're feeling a little bit on the edge of things here. And so I think you go 20, 30,000 words mm. just getting to know that character 
and then layering in the plot that will, um, I guess, give her what she needs rather than what she wants. Mm. But are you saying that you? it was through the process of writing that you realised that the character of Elizabeth was on the edges of things and, you know, was a bit prickly and all of that? Or had you already decided that aspect of her personality and you wrote that into the first A little bit of both, a little bit of both. It's sort of, yeah, feeling that she's been single for a long time and so she's not part of a little group. She's sort of recently left her job. She doesn't really know who she is. So I guess Mm. that's what I knew And it wasn't until I put her into those conversations that she became a little bit more brittle and a little bit more combative. Mm -hmm. Um, So then I get, so you can see that's kind of expanding the, um, it's just like when you get to know anybody, you, you meet them, they say something, you, you make some estimation about that, but Mm -hmm. then, and they might say something rude, which I always love. I just adore rude people. And, (laughs) Then later on, they say something really witty, and you're like, "Oh, yes, okay, um, you're interesting. You know, you've you've sparked my interest." So I guess it's exactly like that in in real life. <laughs> so another, I mean, she's very vivid on the page, and you kind of read it and you go, oh, "I know people just like her." Uh, but the other really um, well drawn character is her grandson and her interactions with her grandson and you know the way teenagers <laughs> speak move smell <laughs> um all those sorts of things is very yeah. you know there's a very specific um way they do all of those things and uh this character is so realistic what did you do to make this character you know, get get the nuances of the dialogue and 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 all of those sorts of things, so that he would come alive. Well, I just brought up a boy, basically. <laughs> I had a fifteen-year-old son. You know, I, all the all the senses were engaged. And look, I just did find it fascinating, very frustrating at times. It's not an experience you forget. But uh, the way he would kind of speak in code or in single words, um, mm. his kind of attitudes and this kind of there's a lethargy comes on them that they will spend they would spend hundreds of hours perfecting a skateboard uh, trick, mm. but not walk across a room uh, <laughs> or make a sandwich. <laughs> so I just found it really, really fascinating. And so I had, you know, being a writer, I have notebooks and all of that hoo-ha. So I had collected some of the expressions that he used to use. But I also have some friends, so he's in his 20s now, but Mm. I have some friends nearby who have a 15-year-old. So I could ask him, you know, some of the the various things, what do people call, you know, people are a bit uh, hopeless now, whatever he'd say, um, Mm. uh, a kook. And I said, well, what if they do this? Oh, we call them a kook. And I said to him one day, so what do you think it feels like to be a kook? He said, you tell me. I was like, oh, that's the best. I love that. He just, the look on his face, it got me. Um, so I would go around there and I would see him doing the things that I had just written Zach doing in the book. So I knew I was on track with that. But it was 
really fun to write because you have to reduce every paragraph to two or three words mm. or one. And it has to be delivered in a, you know, either, you know, dripping sarcasm or at least scorn. So, and then for him to be angry with Elizabeth because of her neglect and then to kind of bring him a little, edge him a little bit across the line and level a playing field between them was really the, um, the, the development that I was bringing into that. Mm-mm. Now, apart from uh, Elizabeth and Zach, and obviously there are other um, key characters who are, you know, <laughs> ranging from colourful to, you know, um, a bit more dour, uh, you've mentioned one of the other key characters is Eric, this bird, <laughs> who steals some of the scenes. I have to ask, do you have a bird? No, I don't. Everybody's been asking me that. No, I'm not really a pet person at all. Um <laughs> So how did Eric come into it? Well, he just flew in and there was nothing I could do. Uh, I think the idea was, well, when you have a character who lives alone and is very introspective in their own little world, it's very limiting from a writing point of view because, you know, you can have him, you know, you don't want to have him talking to the furniture and the cutlery (laughs) and whatnot. So... I thought, okay, well, she's bound to have a pet. She's bound to have tried to mitigate her loneliness in some way. Mm-hmm. And so a cat, no, a dog, no, no. Oh, a budgie. So I can read a whole book about budgies and watch budgies on YouTube and find all these different things about what, the way budgies move and what they do. And um, But as soon as Eric got there, as soon as he was on the page, he did, you know, you can have him saying quite predictable things, but then – you start to develop uh, a character like that as a device. Well, what if he says things that other people have said? What if he says things that Mm. she said three days ago? And so um, that was evolving right through the book where I'd go back and say, oh, no, I think in Chapter 3 Eric can say this and then this will link up with this chapter later on. Mm -mm. Now, you've said that you're a pantser, so you start off with this idea or a premise, but obviously a book needs uh, an entire narrative arc, it needs a climax, it needs, you know, a satisfying resolution. Do you write your way towards something that you know is going to happen, at least in your pants a bit in between, or do you also not know what's going to happen in, in sort of the, the big ending kind of thing? Um, well, I write uplet, so I'm going to have an upbeat um, ending and an ending that um, hints at something better in the future. Mm. So to me it's almost like a stage play where the curtain opens, we see the characters during this period of time and the curtain closes and their lives go on. Mm. So I, I suppose what I did know is that there would be some kind of redemption and some kind of peace for the characters when they had gone through all their travails. So I have to kind of let it evolve because I think with what I'm I'm trying to create really authentic stories and authentic characters. Mm. And I think if I had the ending already nutted out in my head and I was working towards it, it would take away from that authenticity. Mm. That's interesting. Um, all right, so when you're writing, can you tell us like in the throes of, you know, first draft and you're getting it out of your head, 
what does do you have a routine what does your day look like maybe like take me through your day from when you wake up (laughs) you don't want to hear it's a complete muddle do you um well I used to write a lot just wake up have my cup of tea and start writing but since I found out how unhealthy it is to sit around all the time as they say smoking is the new um sitting is the new smoking um I do my exercise first and I try to be at my desk by nine o'clock what do you exercise take me through what you do exercise oh I do yoga I do aerobics I do walking in the summer I swim so I do high intensity stuff Mm -hmm. that it's something pretty much something every day. Great. And because um, I like to be fit and I'm also quite vain, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, I was brought up with a father that was, you know, if you put on a bit of weight, he would make a comment like, um, you're wearing away to a warehouse. So I think that's just put this <laughs> consciousness in my head. Okay. Um, so then I try to keep my mornings quite free. I wish I could say that there's a whole lot in my head wanting to leap from my fingers onto the keyboard, but that is not the case. I sit down and think, oh, but I just think there is everything, everything is to do with showing up. It's Mm. just sitting there. The keyboard's not going to come to you. You've got to go to the keyboard. (laughs) And so you start, today I wrote a scene. I thought, oh, this is just Aladdin. You know, I've got that character on my shoulder going, oh, this is terrible. Oh, you've, you've forgotten how to do it, but you're going to die of embarrassment. Da, da, da. And then you, you get through it. Um, I use a Pomodoro. So I put, oh. um, I have uh, 30, the 30 minute timer on my computer. Yeah. So, you know, the top Pomodoro, the little yes, tomato. Yes. Yes. And at the end of that uh, 30 minutes, it I get a 10 minute break and I do all my housework during those 10 minutes. So oh, wow. the strength of that is, yes, it's very speedy. I literally make <laughs> throw everything in the dishwasher, put it on, slam that, um, run the vacuum cleaner around. The The beauty of it is that that stops you trying to do that before you sit down and write. Because if oh. you try, you know, housework mm. is the death of creativity. Yeah. And because there will always be something to do. It's continuous. It never stops. And um, so when you know that's going to come in your breaks, there's no excuse. The dishes are in the sink. It doesn't matter what it is. You're going to have these breaks that you need to get up and you need to be active. So I do that and uh, that seems to do it. And so the Pomodoro rule, so I can't leave that keyboard until the bell goes. <laughs> and so wow. I'm thinking, oh, I've got no juice left in the tank. I don't know what she's going to say. Oh, do you just write something. <laughs> While you're doing the dishwasher, you think, oh, no. She wouldn't say that to him. She would tell his secretary, yes, mm. that's what I'll do. And then I'll go back and fix that bit up and then I'm I'm going. You know, it's it's cranked up and it's going. So do you have a goal it of a certain... much more exciting than it actually is? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's really interesting. Um, do you have a set number of 30-minute sessions that you want to achieve every day or, or how do you measure yeah. when you're done, you know what I mean, uh, for the day? I have to do three and if I can do four, that's all the better. But the fact is you do get tired. You know, it mm. is, to me, I, I know some people write eight hours a day. I don't mm. know how they do it, but I find three hours of dragging that stuff out of my imagination is tiring. 
Mm. And um, so if I've done three, I'm happy. Three hours or three 30-minute three sessions? Three Pomodoros, three, yes. Yeah, so an hour right. and a half basically. Yes. Wow. Okay. And so what time do you start? About nine. Oh, okay. So you do your exercise very early. <laughs> yes, that's right. <laughs> and so what happens after that? If you do that, you know, and say you spend three hours, it's 12 then. What happens then? I have my lunch. Um, no, I do any ta- – in the afternoon I do tasks, chores, I answer emails, I do research. At the moment I'm working on a, a book set in 1965. Mm. So I'm looking through um, – you can get a subscription to the Herald for 48 hours and look through all the newspapers and the months that I'm concerned with in 1965, see what people mm. are thinking and talking about. Um, went to the library today and picked up a couple of relevant books. So I'll do kind of, there's lo- always lots of supporting things you need to do, particularly around research. And you don't need to be fresh to do that. You can do that kind of thing when you're in the afternoon when you're not mm. as sparky. So when you are researching for your book, so you're currently researching this, 1965, and in Lovebirds, um, one of the characters does go off to the war uh, in Vietnam. Do you do your research, make sure you do your key research beforehand, or do you kind of write and go, oh, I need to know this, I should research that this afternoon? Uh, Correct, yeah. It's not till I, I know... I'm coming up to something and I'm exploring that. So, um, you know, the Vietnam War comes into the book, even though we never go to the war, mm. we kind of see the ravages that it uh, has on on Ray. Mm. And so I had I had to read maybe five books mm. um, as well as talking to vets to just get a sense of the, over, you know, what did people suffer? What What was so destructive about it? So it's really that's kind of my way of doing things of, of becoming completely immersed in it and a kind of um, you know an ex. If you'd asked me six months ago, I could have talked to you about it for hours. Now it's it's gone out. You know, it's just like <laughs> dust. It's been brushed out. Mm-hmm. But I need to really fully understand it, and so I'll just make quick notes. But really, it's just gone in. It's in there, and mm. it will come out where it needs to come out. What was the hardest thing about writing this book? Oh, putting the words down. Oh, it's just, <laughs> I just, just making stories up. I think people underestimate it. It's so hard mm-hmm. uh, to go on day in, day out and just keep on doing it. I, I certainly, there was a point where I had gone down the wrong track right. and I'd gone three chapters down the wrong track. And oh. I could see it just didn't feel good. It just didn't feel right, didn't feel as though it had any. And so I just deleted those three chapters wow. and went back to the point that that felt solid and started again and did it quite differently. So you say that it's really hard, um, but obviously you must enjoy it because this is your chosen, you know, way to spend your time. So what do you find rewarding about it? When you write one good sentence. Why? That's what? it. As you write one good sentence. So you're writing, 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 and then you fix something up and then you you do a second draft and, then you, and you go, oh, that was good. That's it. It's just like this. I, I can't really describe it. It's just like this feeling of satisfaction, this real high, oh, mm. that is good. 
and then you're looking for another sentence like that. Yes. Uh, so I think that um, once you've got the first draft in place, that is really the hard part because you are yeah. making up everything. You're making up every room, every person, every aspect, and you're making up the plot. You're making it all up. Once that first draft's in place, it's a joy because then mm. you are doing the writing part. Then you are crafting those sentences. Then you're making it all work together. And, you know, I like to write in a very um, – I put a lot of work into writing in a simple way so that you've, the story flows, that you flows. I don't do any um, – I don't do fancy metaphors or similes or mm. anything that draws attention to the writing. Mm. I just want people to be immersed in the story and not yep. really notice the writer as, as per Strunk and White. <laughs> do not draw <laughs> attention to yourself. Mm. So it's really believe me, believe these characters you know, I, I don't know if you've had that experience. Sometimes you're reading a book and you think, you know, it's fiction, but you think, I don't believe this. I think you're making mm. it up. Oh, yeah. And mm. uh, that's what I don't want. I want it to be just people just be swept along in the story. Mm. Um, you're one of our wonderful teachers at the Australian Writers' Centre. You teach creative writing. What do you enjoy about teaching writing? Oh, well, you learn so much from it. And because um, I'm self-taught and autodidact, I just am learning all the time. And when you have to read other people's writing and mm. you have to critique it, I suppose for me, it's like somebody who has learnt, uh, taught themselves music, taught themselves to play mm -hmm. an instrument. Mm. You don't, you haven't had that formal education. So you are gathering information from everything that you do. So when you read somebody's writing, you say, okay, that doesn't feel right. What is it about it that doesn't feel right? So you're using your intellect and your gut feeling uh, to bring it together. So I think it's, it's, uh, it's very rewarding to be able to help people with their writing, but you also are fine-tuning your own sensibilities at the same time. Mm -mm. And, um, of course, what are your top three tips for people listening to this who want to write their own novel one day? Well, firstly, start, obviously. Yes. <laughs> and do a course. I think courses are enormously helpful because number one is you, d you don't need a degree. That's mm. obvious. You don't need a degree. And if people want to do a great degree, that's fantastic. There is All education is great. But when I wrote The Olive Sisters, I did short courses. And when I needed to know something, I did a course on that. And so that really was a stepping stone to refining that work. So I think courses are fantastic. Also read. Read in your genre. Read outside your genre. And try to, try to work out how it's done. You know, read critically. Mm. Uh, read aloud, even write down. You know, you can you can take um, Dostoevsky and and you can write down a page if you want to write like him. I think it's a little bit out of date, but mm -hmm. but you can actually write down with a pen and a piece of paper, and you will see how the sentences are formed, how mm. how that works in with the paragraph, which is exactly what musicians do. They listen to other people's music and they dissect that other that that music. 
Mm. Um, and I think number three is just do that little bit every day. Even if you do a hundred words every day, mm. it's keeping it in your subconscious and your subconscious can be very generous in terms of, you know, turning that material over and giving you new ideas, sparking new ideas. Mm, wonderful. Um, so Lovebirds, congratulations on Lovebirds. Everyone should get a copy. The characters, the story, the humour. I'm going to, I don't want to do a spoiler, so I'll tell you offline my favourite scene in the book, which just had me, you know, <laughs> rolling around. Um, uh Fantastic book. So congratulations and thank you so much for your time today, Amanda. Thank you, Valerie. There we go, Amanda Hampson. So everyone, check out her book, Lovebirds. It's a cracker. So Al, what are you doing in the coming week? Uh, well, I've still got a couple of boxes to unpack and mm -hmm. uh, got to unearth the knife block. I'm not quite sure what happened to that. Oh, I know it's been cutting. I have to tell you that cutting a sourdough loaf with a um, butter knife has not been very much fun. <laughs> uh, but any any minute now, that's going to resurface, I'm sure. And uh, yes, and I will be just working very hard on getting myself into some form of organisation for my for my launches and things like that. I'm hoping that I'll be able to tell you more about what I'll be doing next week. That's my plan. Very exciting. How cool. I can't mm. wait. Tell us all that. There's lots of some really good um, launches that are happening around now. And uh, and I love seeing how, you know, as you say, authors are being nimble because things are being cancelled and stuff like that. But um, I am visiting my local bookshop who, are, who have set up kind of um, uh, the cash register out the front so that we don't go in mm. and just bringing you the books to the to the front see it's like ordering takeaway oh Great. brilliant lovely mm. very good all right fantastic where do we find you online al uh you'll find me at allisontake.com a double -L, l i s o n t a i t.com you will find me on twitter at, at al tate a l t a i t and you will find me on facebook and instagram at allison tate writer and you val where do we find you You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.